Welcome back to FinTalk brought to you by Vermont. Here we discuss pressing topics in fintech, regtech, covering regulatory, collateral, and digital across banking and insurance and finance. Vermic has been proud to deliver innovative software solutions in the industry with stability and cost efficiency for our global Rostock clients. With over 20 years of trusted transformation in finance and insurance, we're bringing industry's top expertise to FinTalk. I'm Jared Akta, and I'll be your host for this podcast. Welcome back to FinTalk, brought to you by Vermec. I'm Jared Akta, your host. So today I have with me Brain Momo, Senior Manager at Avantage Reply. Welcome, yes. Brain. Thanks, Jawad. Well, it's been two years now since we had the first since we had one. The first one, yeah, it's been yeah, a while, so, isn't it? Uh, it has been a while. Still at Avantage, still making progress. I'm sure we've had the introduction about Avantage Reply, but we are a consultancy firm under the Reply umbrella, and the focus really is risk, regulation, and compliance. So everything in between, and we have a really great tech base, courtesy of Reply. And uh, yeah, so I mean, it, it's hard to think about finance without tech nowadays. So. It sits really well, and yeah, it's kind of what we do. So, last time we spoke, we spoke about the DCEO letter and all the impact around that. And that was 2019. There's yes. been so many DCEO letters around. There has <laughs> been. Lost there track. has been. Has been. <laughs> but we've spoken a lot about theory and theoretics, and you know, all the upcoming Basel stuff and all the changes and all the stuff that's going on in AI and everything. But actually, I want to bring this back to and, and kind of your area of expertise around business transformation. We hear a lot about business transformation in every firm, you know, the same firms that you, you talk to and the same firms we talk to. Can we go through the concept yeah, of that of course, and, and of like course. the introduction of transformation? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite apt really, because if you think about regulation as a, something goes back and forth and there's always some change here or there, and you wonder, you know, what does it all mean for a firm? Imagine being a firm and taking it all in. It's quite a lot to take in. But business transformation or change transformation is effectively saying, hey, a business has got to evolve in some ways. A business would have changes, maybe courtesy of regulation, courtesy of strategy change, courtesy of, I don't know, new tech, whatever that might be. It could be a target operating model to do things more effectively or efficiently. It, it's the process that takes you from wherever you are now to where you need to be. So that's it in a nutshell. Obviously, transformation has evolved, you know, since the industry is kind of in the last 10 years, you've seen it transform as much as we have. The move to legacy platforms, moving on to cloud and stuff like that. In terms of your experience and the work that you guys are doing, how much are you seeing it evolve and at the pace that it's evolving? You know, we're seeing transformation, heads of transformations, jobs now, suddenly those roles are starting to open up. How are you seeing that in firms now? I think, I think a good way to encapsulate the evolution of the specialism of transformation, if you want to think of it, it's a think about it for, it's a, for like a philosophy or mindset for organization. I think organizations are kind of moving from the more, say, reactive to the proactive. I must admit, I mean, I didn't start my career as a transformation guy. I mean, I started doing banking, uh, regulation, so I've kind of done the, the hardcore stuff until moving to transformation. That's not saying you don't do that in transformation. But I think transformation, it's more of a mindset. And so, something to consider as well is, if you think about the rate of change, the regulation after regulation, the pressures from cost, you know, it's no longer something you do outside of your desk. It's no longer like a, you know, just a project or a program. It is something you have to think of as a firm more strategically. And actually that is, you know, it's, it's for him to say, hey, I'm going to have a finance tr- transformation function. I'm going to have a, a change function for risk. So it's like, we know this is going to come. 
We know we have a budget for a book of work that would involve changing for the next couple of years. We know we need to revamp our architecture. We know we need to revamp our processes. And it's a continuous prioritization, what we need to do first, what we need to do next. And so it's about thinking of it strategically. And also you got to think about it as a, from the perspective that you have the role of a, a change agent, for instance, that role has evolved because you have transformation hubs. I mean, I've worked with firms where they have like a, a business change function within it. Everything goes through that. And if you think about how these things actually work, you can always think of them as the pseudo R&D for the firms. So if you think about firms that are, or industries that are very innovative, talk about the pharma industries or industries like, I don't know, engineering, manufacturing, they have R&D functions. And banks use a lot of IT and tech. And, you know, you can almost argue, size the tech business, what a business uses tech, banks do that. And this change functions not only work as change agents, but they also like help you look around the corner. What, we need, what do we need to do in terms of thinking, upgrading, and to do quite a lot for that. So, yeah. When we talk about transformation and change, we talk a lot about technology. That's the first thing that comes in everyone's mind, right? When someone says to you, change transformation, they think tech. Yeah. But it's not necessarily that, right? No, it's, it's, it's not. It's the things around it. Like you, you mentioned processes. Yeah, yeah, and of governance. course. Of course. Anyone's been around programs along with head of three Ps, process people, and call it platform or tech. And obviously tech is quite the obvious one where people point to, oh, we need to change this or we need new technology. But technology is not always the answer because if you think about what tech is, intrinsically tech has no value. It is the application of tech that makes the difference. And if you're not putting a lot of thought into how best to deploy technology, you're literally going to end up with more troubles or a more complex or sophisticated kind of trouble uh, with a new shiny platform that still has the same problems. So it's, it's more of your operation. How do you work more effectively, efficiently, okay? And it goes down to really thinking about what your model is, target operating model. So you always have the staff in the top, like, what do I need to get to? What are the issues I have today? What do I see myself becoming as a firm? You know, how do we operate? It's not necessarily just down to the problems you have. You know, your problems might be as a result of something else. So how you organize as a firm, even without making a technology change, you can also solve your problems. So... Yeah, I mean, as a vendor, I'd always say technology is the ah, answer. Of course, <laughs> of course, of course, of course. But, but you know, you're right in terms of, you know, there's so much patchwork, right? Having a legacy platform to then sit something else on top of it. That's one part of transformation. I, th I think the key in what we see a lot of is, yes, people, you know, people drive change. So it's important to have them invested in the process to drive that. But also the governance and the controls around that. You know, the PRA always hammer on about that. And the point, I said 2021, they made about target operating model. The whole CEO letter was around target operating model. Even now, you know, how much of that do we see actually being implemented? In Basel 3, PCBS 239, sorry. That's been around for a long time. It's <laughs> How many of those firms can actually say the BCBS 239 compliance? So... It is making kind of a comeback. And it's interesting you mentioned BCBS 239 because we had the, I think it's a couple of months ago in July, we had the guidance. It's a consultation e-guidance on radar that got published because we do a lot of cross-border work with EU, been reply, been a continental firm. And one of the things they actually highlighted there was, I think they went through this seven point where at the top is the management, all also about responsibility, all the way to implementation. And you have governance somewhere in the middle. And I think they were advocating for sort of like a central 
approach to governance. And it's effectively the same thing. And you ask yourself, why do we still have this? I mean, organizations are complex. Banks are huge. This doesn't happen overnight. I mean, you have some sympathies for organization, but the fact is they've been hammering on. I mean, they did acknowledge a degree of progress, but there's still a lot to be done because the goal was actually moving, you know, wherever we were when BCBS came out, you know, you had tons of regulation then and you got to upskill, you got to move fast to keep up. Yeah, I mean, the other issue is BCBS has come from Basel. Basel's not a governing body. Yeah. So it's nice to have, mm. but... I don't really need to be governed by it. You know, everyone keeps, it keeps coming up, right? Every six months, BCBS239 keeps coming up, that same mm. document. But until the regulators, local regulators enforce it, we're still going to be talking about this in a few years' time. We probably would. And I think regulators know that, right? Regulators, especially when you think about regulators like the PRA, who was slightly different from what you have in, in the continent, which continents tend to be more prescriptive and the PRA tends to be more principle-based. It's about standards is about, you know, you ought to be doing this. I think it's about having the firms mature within themselves, within the processes. And I remember working for the BOE and the stress test program when you first kicked off in 2013. And one of the things I learned really quickly is they're never going to tell you exactly, specifically what the issue is. And it's about you coming to a realization. It's about the maturity within the firm. And I thought that was really good because it's like, you kind of giving the autonomy to the firm, but at the same time, you're helping shepherd them in the right direction and sometimes they put these expectations in front of you we expect you to do this we expect you to do that and if a firm is doing something right they bring that out and they kind of share it with the rest of the cohorts like you can do more of this you can do more of that and i think for me i think that's better in a way because firms do have the challenges and sometimes you can argue that the regulators are slightly removed from the challenges of the the every day-to-day challenges of firms which quite peculiar if you think about legacy systems challenges of staff motivating people to do what you do and you've got regulation on the back you've got shareholders driving profits so it's quite heavy on firms yeah i mean regulation is always a burden right and it's the ability to change that but going through transformation and we see a lot of challenger banks neobanks all these new fintechs and startups that have come through who they don't have that issue of legacy systems and mm-hmm. old archaic is 400 systems kind of embedded in and having to unwind those they're obviously feel like you know you're ahead of the curve slightly but for organizations that you know, banks that have been around for a long time what are the key kind of drivers and trends that you see that you know for them small wins right i think it's where it is you know anyone will appreciate small wins yes everyone wants to rip out the as 400 but it's not as simple as that i think i think we had the We've had the challenger banks come and, you know, the challenger banks at the time, I think about a decade ago. So it's, they're going to take over the big banks. They're going to, the banks are dinosaurs. And I think, I think we've come to realize they could both cohabit in a space, right? And I don't think it's a case of either or. I mean, think about how you do your banking today. You could have a Revolut account and also have a, a Barclays for your mortgage. They're, they're two different. And I think even the big banks are realizing that and realizing, okay, perhaps some degree of partnership, some degree of evolution in ourselves, not to maybe be drastic or become uh, a digital only kind of bank, but also perhaps learn setting practices to make us more efficient in how we work. And the reason I say that is because obviously you're from, you are the, the reg techs. And I think when I think about the relationship between say some of the big players, big banks, and maybe a reg tech or fintech, I think more of the relationship within a pharmaceutical industry and say institutions of research, Okay. You know, innovation is key. You know, you have to move with the times, the technology, the things evolving every day. But the, the large pharma 
you know, have huge R&D budgets and they have that budget not being put to good use. And I feel like with academic institutions, they could be more efficient. They can do sponsored research and sponsored studies. And when that comes out, they take that and that informs how they do things. And it's similar, like a few red tech specialists, I don't have to worry too much about, you know, what goes into that. I can actually trust you have the right platform. I can trust that you probably dealing with a couple of more banks. There's a standardization of approach. You've seen it in all the places. You can inform me how I do things. If, I'm, if I need a platform, if I need support, you can provide that support. And, and that for, for a bank, that is a huge benefit because it gets the big bank going back to what they're good at, which is the core. You know, get on with your business. Don't worry about the tech. Don't worry about the other stuff. We'll do that for you. Just get on. You know, that's really vital. And, and you keep up with the innovation. Do you reckon that part of it, the challenger bank has kind of disrupted the market and, and made this transformation happen in some of the older banks um, to allow that competition? I think it's a combination of things. I think the challenger banks were due to happen anyway. I think technology is the disruptor as opposed to the challenger bank. And if we think about not just from a, I don't know, a business offering perspective, we think about the tech itself, this cloud is a huge component where banks begin to think, well, there are quite a few things we've not been able to do and we want to be able to, we, we are able to do now because the big banks think it sits on tons and tons of data. And I don't know if you probably remember about a decade ago, we had the data lake program where every bank was like, had this sea of data where no one knew what to do with. They just know, okay, we've got data, we're going to put it somewhere and think of what to do with. And now you've got cloud, you've got, you know, the processing power, you've got the storage capacity, you've got all that stuff. And people are thinking, well, hang on, it's, you're going from lakes to clouds now, right? So it's a great analogy if you think <laughs> about it. And it's effectively, we can do a lot more with the data we've collected all this time. So the banks are able to do that because they've got the history, they've got the data. I mean, challenger banks can't do that. They don't have that data. So it's not just a disruption of, hey, the challenger banks changing things. But I think the real true disruptor here is the technology that's enabling new ways of doing pretty much all things. From a vendor point of view, we see a lot more discussions around cloud, moving to the cloud, moving our stuff. You know, we're cloud agnostic anyway. So are you seeing a lot more of that? I mean, I've saw a lot more of that since the last five years or so, that increase in that chat about let's move to the cloud, that fear of security. Before it was all about security. It's not, it's not secure. Yes. But now, especially in the last three to five years, we're seeing a lot more of that and a lot more banks move into that. Is that something that be echoed in what you're doing as well? Of course. And I think, I think the few things that are driving that in my mind, I mean, just to say we have a, a cloud and financial services survey, which we do every two years in, 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 uh, in Vantage. And I think we're due to have one release pretty soon where we go into in-depth survey analysis and speaking to lots of firms. And we do drive quite a number of insight from that. And I think one of the things with, when I compare, so like the results we had two years ago and what we have, there's been a shift when people thinking, oh, a cloud first solution. Okay. We're going to go to cloud, whatever problems we have. I quite remember this in HSBC when I worked at HSBC. It's like at some point it's like in financial solution, whatever you wanted, can you go to cloud? So it's more like we got to justify this shiny tool as opposed to what is the best way to get into cloud? Because cloud, I'm sure you know, it's not just about putting stuff in cloud. It's about the efficiency, how it's organized, how your security is managed, you know, at rest, transit, you know, all that stuff needs to be thought about. And for me, it's about, yes, Cloud has great potential. It can definitely revamp things. It can help you be more cost efficient, but it could also, if not properly planned, it, it, you might not get the benefits like you should. So it's it's like everything. It's, it's how you use it. It's how you think, you know, what you put into it and, and you get what you put into it really. Yeah, very much like everything, isn't it? If you're 
there's no point having a Ferrari and you've got a Ford Fiesta engine against it. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's useless. Yeah, of course. Just to kind of go back onto the transformation part of it, what are your kind of key success tips and best practices that you would kind of communicate back to your clients just as some free advice? Mm. So I think, I think when it comes to best success, like best practice and, and, and success tips when it comes to transformation is something that happens with every organization, whether you realize it or not, you know, uh, nothing stands still. You got to evolve, you got to keep up. And one of the things I'll say is, you know, I'm not going to take constants for things like, you know, what your, your style of program management and stuff. Those, those for me are kind of irrelevant because if you, when it comes down to it, right, not to say you don't need good program management and stuff. When it comes down to it, you can have the best program management wall, uh, manager in the world and still nothing works because, A, if you come in head on against a culture that doesn't fit a style, I think you're never going to succeed. I think the first things first is the culture. Uh, if I come into a place and given a piece of transformation work, I want to understand the rationale behind it. I want to understand, you know, what's the culture change? You know, how do people understand my presence? What do they, why am I here? You know, am I here to help you or am I here to... Yeah, we just go, I mean, sometimes you actually have a, a situation where transformation, it's not something that's talked a lot about. And when you go into a firm to tr do transformation, you're given a couple of guys who see this as a side job and they're not taking responsibility for this, right? They're not going to take it serious enough. It's almost like it's not part of my scorecard. I don't really care. I'm just helping you out type thing. So the attitude is very important for me. And I think that also means a everyday staff think of itself as change agent. So if you see an issue, if you see a problem and you think, well, this is something we can add to a list, uh, perhaps we can have risk or finance change, look at it, add to the book of work, perhaps we could be more efficient, X, Y, Z. So it's having that mentality and how people think about change. I think for me, it's a key thing. So I think really getting culture right and everything kind of falls into place. And with the culture, obviously that ties in with the governance of it. And also you have things like, if the governance is right, the culture is right, you know, taking stock of your infrastructure, you know, what sort of infrastructure, if you have alien infrastructure, obviously cloud is a solution you can look into. But all that is, for me, secondary to really thinking about the culture, governance, and, and where you ought to be. Then you can think about the operating model approach, really thinking, not just reacting, so to speak. Like we're here today, we've been here for the last 10 years. Where do we want to, what sort of organization we want to be? What, what do we want for our processes? What do we want for our people? What do we want for our platforms? You know, have a proper think, you know, it's nothing to be rushed. And when you have that clarity, then you can take that bits by bits. You can have book of works and program of work that be three, four, five year long. And, and you've got to stay the course. You've got to stay committed to actually making that difference in your organization. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good roundup. So you, you, you say culture. Culture brings clarity. Absolutely. Right? I think Absolutely. that's, you know, if, if everyone's on board with change of where the direction of travel is, then you're pulling in one direction. You're not pulling in multiple different directions. That obviously then ties up the governance part of it and then the infrastructure naturally will fall into place if everyone's kind of pulling in in that right direction brain that's been really useful thank you so much for your time yeah i really you. appreciate thank that and, uh, i hope that we can talk a bit more about transformation in the future and finally bed down the bcbs 239 i don't think it's going out i don't think it's going anywhere <laughs> now but, but i think it's good i think it's one of those things that keeps the standards high and, and get firms on the front foot to, to get them better. There's always room for improvement. And, and I think that spectrum would continue and hopefully it does. There's always going to be change, isn't there? There's always going to be change. There's always going to be places to, to improve. You're not going to be able to do it in one hit, I think, if the program is right. And yeah, investment's key. Investment culture, that narrows down governance. You've got the tech, you've got the people. 
then uh, you're on, onto a winner, right? That's, yeah. Hopefully with the help of uh, Vermeer and <laughs> yeah, Avantage. Exactly, exactly. It's, 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 yeah. a, it's a winning combination there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks Brilliant. for having me. Thanks Brilliant. for having me. Thanks.